From KHOL, this is Jackson Unpacked. Our podcast on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and around the Mountain West. I'm News Director Tyler Pratt. Coming up on today's show, longtime Jackson locals and members of the LGBTQ community reflect on growing up here and how they feel seeing pride celebrations expand across the Mountain West. There's more of us than we think there are. There's so many queer people in the Rocky Mountain area. I was shocked when I did go to other places and I meet all these fantastic people that I never thought would live in a place where they do. And later, in parts of Western Wyoming, people are noticing a lot of ticks this year. One person has even kept track of all the ticks in a unique way. Put the tick on, he's trying to crawl away. You put a dab of glue on there, take a toothpick, push him over into the little puddle of super glue. We'll hear more about why there are so many ticks in Wyoming. These stories and more coming up on Jackson Unpacked. Thanks for joining us today. Our region is catching up on the pickleball boom. Sometimes described as a cross between ping pong and tennis, the sport has expanded beyond retirement communities. The Mountain West News Bureau's Will Walkie reports. Undyne Park in Laramie is one of the best and only spots for pickleball in town. Tree Cisneros is president of the Laramie Pickleball Association and is wearing dangling earrings with rectangular paddles and a yellow plastic ball on them. She picked up the game about five years ago. I was getting a little bit old for volleyball and um, softball and wanted, heard that it was a good sport for older people. And of course, we know that that's not the case anymore. It's for everybody. Now Cisneros plays three to four days a week and says she's met several new friends through the sport. One is Carl Ghost, wearing a hat that says Pickle Addict. Community to me is addictive. Relationships are addictive. Uh, wellness is addictive. Ghost also likes that the game teaches you patience. Like you can't just smash the ball every time as hard as you can. You'll lose, maybe to someone twice your age. And once you start to control your reactions and build patience and you build control and it's more chess-like, you, you move, you divide and conquer. It's also cheap and easy to learn. All that means pickleball is among the fastest growing sports in the country. One report found that there are more than 36 million players nationwide. That puts it nearly on par with running and cycling. Brandon Mackey co-founded a pickleball website. He says the pandemic helped the sport evolve from something played mostly by retirees. Maybe a young person was exposed to it in LA and then they decided, hey, I could work remote. I don't want to live in a big city anymore. I'm going to go move to Wyoming or Bozeman, Montana. And they brought pickleball. The sport is expected to keep growing. Courts are being built all over the Mountain West, from Park City, Utah to eastern Idaho. But it still might not be meeting demand. By the time that the courts have been built, it's already not enough. Um, They do an analysis. They say we need four pickleball courts to serve the demand. It takes a year to build them. And then it comes to find out they should have built eight. Overcrowding can cause players to be frustrated but some others just don't want to see pickleball grow. We don't usually get such a big crowd at a city council meeting, so... Centennial, Colorado held a public meeting this year over a proposed ban on new courts. Residents like Joanne Larzik are passionate about the issue. I want to hear the kids 
playing. I want to hear the birds chirping. I don't want to hear all day long. The council voted for a temporary pause while they study noise impacts. Officials from Denver to Las Vegas have also been put, well, in a pickle over where courts should be placed. But others like Michael Evans argue the benefits of pickleball outweigh the complaints of a few neighbors. Here he is at the Centennial meeting. It gets them off their iPads, out of the house, and outside. And I think that when you're looking at the city of Centennial, these are the types of activities you want to be making your children and your uh, residents doing. In the meantime, some are trying to make the game quieter with paddles that muffle noise. Others are building courts inside abandoned big box stores or in their yards. Heather Glass plays in Boise and faced crowded courts at times. So she laid asphalt for two courts on her property and now invites the public to play and take lessons through an online reservation system. And I said, hey, neighbors, come play pickleball and I'll teach you how. And I, I built it and they came. The former teacher says watching someone grow from a beginner to a dominant force is special. She remembers playing with a woman she taught the game to. And she hit some amazing ball. And I did this cute little dance and I said, that's my partner, that's my partner. And she did the little dance back and she said, that's my teacher, that's my teacher. And it made me feel like a million dollars. Glass says she hasn't received noise complaints, but thinks with any sport changing so fast, friction is inevitable. Still, her experience also makes one thing clear. People will find ways to play pickleball under any circumstances. The question is, how communities handle it. For Wyoming Public Radio News, I'm Will Walkie in Laramie. You're listening to Jackson Unpacked. A new rock climbing competition reality TV show that came out earlier this year features 10 climbers from around the world, including Brazil, Scotland, and Wyoming. 23-year-old Brad Burns from Story, a town in the north-central part of the state, was scouted to participate in The Climb from HBO Max. The amateur climber competed for a $100,000 prize. KHUL contributor Kyle Mackey spoke to Burns about his experience filming the show and his local climbing advocacy near his hometown. Brad Burns, thank you so much for joining us today on KHOL. Yeah, thanks for having me. Let's start by talking about your experience on the climb. How did you find out about the show and what motivated you to apply? Yeah, so I was out climbing one day and got home kind of late and found this email in my inbox that I thought was spam. It was this email. It was like, hey, we saw your social media. We think you'd be great for this TV show for HBO Max. So I was like, oh, this can't be real. But I opened it, ended up filling out the application. And then like the next day, I got a phone call and had like a two hour long interview. And this was like probably August of my last year of undergrad, just before I started school. And then higher ups and higher ups just kept getting in on the meetings. And then finally, uh, I ended up going to Spain, to Mallorca in, I think, late October of, it would have been 2021, I think. Well, you mentioned balancing your senior year of college while you were, I guess, in the application process, and then actually while you were filming the show in Spain. And I wonder how you balanced that mental and physical toll. I mean, for folks who haven't seen the show, all of the climbs that you were doing are, are really hard climbs. So we're talking like hard 5.11s, 5.12s, even some 5.13s, I think. How did you balance that? 
It was hard. I, yeah, I'm not going to lie. Um, yeah, I was finishing up my last year at, at Montana State, and so I was doing everything online. I was really, really lucky. All of my professors were really accommodating, and it was kind of re- right post-pandemic, and so I was able to do a lot of my coursework online, but there's there's an eight-hour time change, and so uh, we had to be live for some of those quizzes and some of those exams and things like that, and so for me, a lot of the time, was, that was like really early morning um, in Spain, so we would like shoot all day, uh, you know, I would rock climb and, and get super tired, um, and then I would like go to sleep for a couple hours and then wake up like, you know, 2, 3 a.m., take quizzes, take tests and things like that, and it wasn't the easiest thing, but I, I think... You know, it was worth it for sure. So we are not going to reveal in this conversation how things exactly went for you in the show. Folks can watch if they're interested. But I do have to ask about what it was like to climb in front of Chris Sharma, who is widely considered to be one of the best rock climbers in the world. Um, you know, what was, what was it like to essentially, you know, try to perform your, your best in front of him? He, he's one of the creators and a judge on the show. I think at first, when I first met him, I was like kind of nervous and, and everything, but Honestly, I was, I feel like I'm a somewhat like laid back person. And so it was really awesome to get to climb in front of him. But after meeting him the first time, it didn't really like add any pressure. In fact, I honestly think climbing in front of Chris and climbing in front of Megan and climbing in front of the other participants, um, I really like, like to have that energy when I'm climbing. I like when people are loud. I like when people are cheering me on. Um, and so I think just like the more people that were there, even if they're important people, you know, it just kind of like makes me climb better. It adds, I think I just operate well underneath that pressure. Yeah. And Megan, who you mentioned, Megan Martin is another professional climber and, and judge on the show. I will say as a climber myself, that part felt really authentic watching how the the climbers and the competitors, you really supported each other and everybody was cheering each other on, even when you were maybe competing against each other, like in in an elimination climb. Does that, does that ring true to you? I mean, it seemed like a nice community. Yeah, 100%. I think that's what sets this reality TV show apart from other reality TV shows is there's like we were 100% supportive of each other. Nobody wanted anybody else to go home. Nobody, like, everybody was best friends. I mean, we, like, basically lived together for multiple months, too. So it's like, we all got along really well. And it really is a reflection of the rock climbing community because even though it was an elimination uh, competition, you know, like, rock climbing is a very individual sport. You're not really competing against anybody else unless you're, you know, doing comp climbing in gyms. Uh, It's really about, like, you and your belayer and your friends going out there and, like, doing battle against the rock and having a good time, you know, and so I think that shines through. Well, there's lots of folks here in the Tetons who are climbers, and I wanted to ask you, I I think at some point in the show, they showed a photo of you climbing in the Tetons, correct me if I'm wrong, Uh, but I I wanted to ask you about your local climbing experience, you know, here in this part of Western Wyoming, and if you have any favorite Teton memories. Yeah, uh, oh man, yeah, I love the Tetons for sure. The Grand Teton I climbed, I actually have a tattoo of the Grand Teton on my back, I uh, it was like one of the first big missions that I ever went on, although it's like technically not that difficult, you know, it's like a big mountain, you know, there's there's weather and um, yeah, it, it's like a serious thing up there. You know, my favorite Teton memory, we climbed the Northwest Ice Coolar on the middle Teton, which is uh, it's like this. 1200 foot ice route kind of on the north face of the middle Teton, which is adjacent to the Grand Teton. And, um, you just get views of the Grand the whole time. And it was like middle of July and we're ice climbing and it's, I mean, it was just beautiful. Yeah. Just great memories all around out there. I understand you're also president of the Bighorn Climbers Coalition, and that group keeps an eye on climbing issues in the Bighorn Mountains and Basin, which includes popular climbing areas like Ten Sleep. Uh, what kind of things have you been working on? What kind of issues have come up in that role? 
So a lot of what we do is mostly, you know, teaching and education. Um, so things about like stewardship. A lot of people come from Colorado or Utah and maybe 10 sleep is their first outdoor climbing experience. Sometimes those people have really like never camped outside or don't know what it means to like clean up at the crag or, you know, where to leave your bags at the crag. And so a lot of what we try to do is work with like access fund in the national, uh, the national forest, Bighorn National Forest, and just try to get information out there that cl- that way climbers can like re- reference things. Um, there's kind of a lot going on with like development and things like that in the canyon. I won't really dive into that, um, but educating climbers on the best practices of what development looks like, what rebolting looks like. We also put on um, events like our 10 Sleep Climbers Festival. And then lastly, I think the last thing that we do is um, we work with land managers to pr- provide and protect climbing access. And so we mediate these conversations between climbers and non-climbers and the landowners um, to make sure that we can climb in those areas for now and into the future. So I wanted to close by asking you to reflect a bit on climbing and the sport that you've dedicated so much of your life to. There's this famous Yvonne Chouinard quote about how climbers are conquistadors of the useless. And I just wanted to ask you to reflect on what climbing means to you and how you think it's going to fit into your life moving forward. Climbing will always be a way to connect with people and a way to connect with nature. Um, I think regardless of how much I'm climbing, it's just always good to get out and just like just you and your friends and kind of getting back to that non-competitive nature. It doesn't matter how you're doing, you know, it's, it's, it's all about just like getting out there, having fun, um, enjoying these beautiful spaces that are all around us from like the Tetons to Devil's Tower to the Bighorns. There's just so much awesome green space around here and climbing is just an awesome medium to like explore that and, um, a good way to challenge yourself and just connect with people. And I think, Climbing has always been that for me, and I think it will just always continue to be that way for me. After your experience on the climb, do you think you'd ever do another climbing competition again? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, it's like a paid trip to Spain, you know? It's like, oh, man, yeah, I can't even express how awesome it was. I feel so humbled and so lucky to have been a part of that experience because it's like, I mean, they could have chose so many different people, and somehow they chose, like, small boy from Wyoming, you know? I don't, I don't really get how it works, but, yeah, I would absolutely do something like that again. All right. Well, Brad, thank you so much for taking the time. It's been a pleasure to chat with you. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Jackson Unpacked from KHOL, where we showcase reporting and interviews on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and around the Mountain West. New episodes of Jackson Unpacked drop every other Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Pride Month is wrapping up. For many in the LGBTQ community, this June was both a celebration and a protest as states across the country, including Wyoming, dial back LGBTQ rights. Pride Month in Jackson continues to grow along with the town. This year, for the first time, rainbow flags were flown downtown. June was filled with meetups, parties, and outdoorsy events for the LGBTQ community and allies. Three members of the local queer community, now in their early 20s, are using Pride Month as an opportunity to reflect on what it's been like to grow up in Jackson Hole and talk about what excites them for the town's future. KHOL's Zoe Curran, who helps run our social media and is also a local DJ. Cody, who also goes by Aurora and is known as Jackson's first drag queen. And Mari Hansen, an avid winter sports enthusiast who helped kick off our conversation. Pride Month, that it actually exists in Jackson, is absolutely incredible. Like growing up, we had very minimal sex ed. 
and nothing to say about like any type of non-heteronormative sex ed. Nobody talked about being gay and it didn't feel like anybody was gay in Jackson, which is totally not true. There is like a, a very vibrant, strong queer community here. And it's really cool to see people like being out and being queer like publicly. Cause like even five years ago, there was no pride. Even like four years ago, three years ago, like it's been very recent that Pride Month has existed. So it's very, very hopeful for me to see in this community when, you know, I don't want to speak for Zoe or Cody, but we didn't see that. That that wasn't a thing. It wasn't a thing to be gay or trans or out of the box in any sense of the word. So it's awesome to see that visibility and that representation and that I hope that can help other young kids in the Valley and just any anybody in the Valley to see like, it's okay and there are other people here, you know, that you can talk to and relate to differently. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's new to this community in certain ways. I'm sure to to certain individuals, they've always been prideful and But it's so exciting that now we have spaces and opportunities to come together as a community because part of what made that riot so powerful was the amount of people who came together um, under that same cause. And it's the same thing. It's like I'm still defining personally what pride means to me because I think it's been a very difficult year. It's difficult every year, but there's been specific things in Wyoming and also nationally that have, I think, laid a little bit of a cloud over things in a way. But I think that makes it even more important that we have pride and more important that we have these different types of rebellion. For me, DJing, like music and dancing and that free space, that's my rebellion. For others, it might be a march. For others, it might be both. And I think it's really exciting that we have that variety and vibrancy more and more every year. Because it's like, I, I didn't know June was Pride Month until I was 19. So it's so exciting now that people have that when they're when they're 12, when they're 50, all over the map. And we get to have it here and then participate in that national conversation as well. It just feels very like a privilege. Cody, what do you enjoy about about drag and Jackson? Oh, the creativity and I think the rareness of it. Honestly, the rareness of it is kind of exquisite because I don't have any sisters or I don't have anything to compete against, really. I think it helps me as myself to develop my character and test things that I might not do in like a major city because that might not succeed in a major city, but out here it might do fantastic. So I think when people think about the Mountain West, the queer community out here may not be the first thing that they think of. So what have you seen from traveling around? What have you learned about the queer communities in the Mountain West? That there's more of us than we think there are. There's so many queer people in the Rocky Mountain area I was shocked when I did go to other places and I meet all these fantastic people that I never thought would live in a place where they do. What excites you about Jackson and the future and what are you looking forward to as this town continues to evolve? What what, what keeps y'all here? Mm. I feel like y'all have a real love for this community. I think we've all left at different times for different reasons. So it's more of like a question of why did we come back? I mean, for me, I was going to move to Berlin. That was my Bronski beat runaway. Like that was my city, my magnum opus. And Jackson surprised me. I met my partner. I became friends with Aurora. I've met you now, Tyler. And beyond that, like so many other communities, like the, what was it? The movement 
festival, the film festival we just saw. Oh, Mountains of Color. Mountains of Color. Like, it just keeps surprising me the way this community is growing and the way more diverse voices are are beginning to, like, be given the spotlights that they deserve and we're beginning to hear them more. And this is starting to feel, as much as it's still a bubble, more of a reflection of larger places. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what I was seeking going away or moving somewhere big. There's so much here. And there's so many amazing people here. And just because it's small and just because we have the issues we do, it's still worth, you know, putting time and effort. I think it's I think into. it's interesting to to hear that from you. Like adding on to what you're saying, Zoe, it does feel like I mean the town has grown exponentially in so many ways. Cody, Zoe, and I have all seen the town grow and change so much, not just in terms of the amount of people living here. When we were growing up, it was like a town of like five or six thousand people or whatever. And now it's <laughs> literally doubled. Like literally, literally doubled. Yeah. And that's a lot of new people from cities or outside of Wyoming or whatever coming in with new ideas and new people. And I think that's what's really exciting for me to see. It isn't the same place that we grew up in. There is more diversity and more people for our small towns. It's not just same old, same old. Even though it's hard to see and we are in this bubble, it is changing and there are new people coming in. I think I stay here for the mountains and the access here is unreal. We're so spoiled. We're so privileged with the type of access that we have in this area. I'd love to like do a queer ski day one day and help people get gear and go to the snow king and give them lessons because I know how hard it is to enter into this town and, and enter into a sport like skiing or snowboarding. It's really, really intimidating. It's really <laughs> difficult to get into. So I would love to be someone that can help people bridge that gap a little bit. I can help them with gear and help them feel more confident on the hill and help them with their skill sets. I think that would be, as we look towards growing the community and like more people coming in and growing the queer community, like I'd love to do a big old ski day or something this winter like that and just support people more. Jackson locals, Mari Hansen, Zoe Curran, and Cody, also known as Aurora, discussing their experience growing up queer in Jackson and what they look forward to in the region's future. You're listening to Jackson Unpacked. From late March to midsummer is when ticks are out. You know, those creepy little bloodsuckers. They're actually the second most dangerous creature in the world when it comes to transmitting disease, only behind mosquitoes. Well, in western Wyoming, people are saying it's a big tick year. Wyoming Public Radio's Caitlin Tan looked into Sublette County, where there's the highest rate of tick fever disease in the country. Take a listen. Walking through the grass and sagebrush is Sublette County's local horseshoer, J.B. Now, his actual name is James Bond. Oh, 007, you know, and I mean, I've been hearing that for 50 years, you know. But he's also known by friends as someone who always gets ticks. Like if I'm out walking around with other people, I will find a tick on me or two and other people don't. And this year, he's had more than usual. So he's collecting ticks in his yard to get an idea of how many are out there. 
He does what actual researchers do using a white bed sheet. I just have it draped out behind me, but I'm walking backwards and just dragging it slow by these, you know, by grass. Ticks will grab onto the sheet like they do to us. Bond checks it for ticks. There's one over there and that one. So here's the technique. He picks them off with pliers. Come on, you little devil. And then sticks them to scotch tape wrapped around his wrist. There's a big one. He gets seven in about 10 minutes. The two days before, he got 40. It's a lot of ticks this year. Scott Shell, who's an entomologist with the University of Wyoming, has a theory as to why. It has to do with over half of some of the mule deer and pronghorn herds dying in Sublette County from the harsh winter. There's still those ticks out there that would have normally been picked up by deer and antelope and elk as they wander around the trails. <laughs> if you go out fishing and you're walking down the trail, your ideal you know, substitute. Teton County Weed and Pests' McKenna Smith says that's a plausible theory. She says another reason could be the rainy weather. Just having a general higher humidity could make them more active. Smith is studying ticks in western Wyoming for the first time, mainly because there really isn't a lot of data on ticks in our area. For public health especially, it's very important to know what factors could be impacting their survival, their population. Smith says some of the only data she could find for the area showed that about one in five ticks carry Colorado tick fever in parts of Sublette and Teton counties. And while tick fever isn't usually deadly, it's like a really bad flu. You know, people think of ticks, they think of the East Coast, and they think of Lyme disease. We don't have Lyme disease, but we do have ticks. <laughs> they are out. The Wyoming Department of Health says so far this year, there are no reported cases of tick fever in the state. But in the last 10 years, there were 14 cases in Sublette County, which is the highest rate in the country. And James Bond, the tick catcher, he's had tick fever. He got it in 2003 at his home. And over the years, it made him hyper aware of ticks. So that's when I started gluing them to a card and then dating them, you know. He calls it a tick card. The rules are the tick has to be on him in the house. Outside doesn't count. Put the tick on. He's trying to crawl away. You put a dab of glue on there. Take a toothpick. Push him over into the little puddle of super glue, and he's still crawling away. And then you just take a little bit of uh, uh, baking soda, sprinkle it, and it's like it goes, sets up like instantly. Last year, he had nine ticks on his card. The year before, just three. This year, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. And there's still at least another month of tick season. Experts say if the rain continues, it could be even longer. Now, after all this talk about ticks, maybe you're feeling a little itchy. I know I was. Oh, no. Now you have me getting the phantom itches. <laughs> Isn't that funny? You start talking about them and yeah. then you start feeling them. Getting all creeped out. Here's a hot tip from Weed and Pest. When you get home from being outside, don't throw your clothes straight into the hamper. The ticks will literally come find you. So put the clothes on high in the dryer for 10 minutes. It'll quote, Newcom. For Wyoming Public Radio, I'm Caitlin Tan in Pinedale. That's it today on Jackson Unpacked. 
Original music for the show is performed by the local band Strumbucket. I'm Tyler Pratt, and this is KHOL, Jackson Hole Community Radio. Thank you.